Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Those are extremely sobering words from our Lord in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, as a part of the great Sermon on the Mount. And these words should primarily remind us of a Christian, yes, one who has become a Christian, but one whose life does not conform to his claims. Jesus had talked in the previous section of this sermon about false teachers And indeed, there are false teachers, and there are false teachers who believe they are doing what God would have them do, but it is also the case that there are those who have truly become children of God, whose lives are not in harmony with that which they have initially professed. And we need to appreciate that indeed, what is said here or professed here by those who will at the judgment scene, and that's the scene to which we're projected by the Lord in this text. There will be those who will say, have we not demonstrated God's power in our lives? Have we not cast out demons? Have we not done many wonders? Now we know the Bible speaks of lying signs and lying wonders, and there will be those and have been those in times past, and will continue to be those who who seek to perform what truly are lying signs and wonders. But we also know that in the period of the New Testament before this book was in its final and complete form, there were miraculous gifts that were given to those who were followers of Christ and who had the power to truly cast out demons, to do many wonderful works in the name that is by the authority of Christ. And yet, as we shall see as we go further in this lesson, That in and of itself was not sufficient to assure one's salvation. Do you think Judas Iscariot had powers to cast out demons, had powers to do the works uh, that Jesus alludes to here? Of course he did. And yet he was a devil, ultimately. And we'll see more about that as we come to another portion of this very important study of a very important passage, a very sobering passage indeed, as it should cause every single one of us to stop and truly examine our lives to see whether or not God's will is truly being expressed in our lives. The psalmist in Psalm 40 and verse 8 expressed it so beautifully. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. Isn't that a beautiful expression? I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. Again, at Psalm 143 and verse 10, the psalmist cries out, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. That should be the plea and the determination of every single one of us that God through His Word will lead us today in the land of uprightness. We live in a land that is plagued by sin, no question about it. 
But even in this land that is so plagued by sin on every hand, we can still be led in another land, while in this land, if you will, we can be in the land of uprightness, even though the literal land around us, the landscape, if you will, spiritually and morally, has changed dramatically. We can call upon God to lead us in the land of uprightness. We can say, as was expressed in the model prayer Jesus gave in Matthew 6, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, these passages and many others that could be cited express that God's will is to be expressed in our lives. God expects something of me. God does know. God does care. It does matter. And God has certain things that he expects of me. And I must know what these things are in order to be saved eternally. I mean, that's clear, isn't it? If God expects certain things of me, it's incumbent upon me to know what those things are so that I can be saved eternally. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who what? Who does the will of my Father. There's the key. The will of my Father. Oh, we have already entered a period of time when fathers are, are at the forefront. And the advertisements in the newspapers and on television will be about what you can get, Dad, for Father's Day. And we need to be thoughtful of fathers and appreciative of fathers and encouraging fathers to be the kind of fathers that God would have them be. But how can they be and how can we be the kind of people we need to be? By knowing the will of the Father, the will of the Father in heaven. What is the will of my Father? Let's look at it. First of all, He wills that I, as His child, grow, develop, grow and develop spiritually. Obviously, he wills that I become his child by a belief in Jesus as the Christ that leads me to repent of my sins and to confess him as the Christ and then to be buried with him in baptism for the remission of sins. And from that moment forward, the will of my Father is that I grow and develop spiritually. 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2. Therefore, laying aside all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. That makes it abundantly clear, doesn't it, that the will of my Father is that I grow in the grace and the knowledge of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from day one of my spiritual existence as a child of God. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And remember the writer of Hebrews wrote to those Hebrew Christians and chastised them. He said, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have become those who need milk and not solid food. And then he goes on, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. 
We've got to exercise. Physical exercise is good. Bodily exercise profits little, 1 Timothy 4, verse 8, but godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Paul reminds us in that text. And you remember also when Paul wrote the first Corinthian letter to the church at Corinth that was plagued by all sorts of problems, and what was their basic problem? They were not growing and developing spiritually as they should. And so he wrote and he said to them in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2, And I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. He said, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And then he went on to say, And even now you are still not able. Did Paul think they should have been? Of course he did. Milk versus solid food. And you know that's still a problem. It was a problem at Corinth. And it is tragically still a problem among God's people today in many places. Though we have more classes, though we have more preachers, we have generally less knowledge. Oh, I'm not saying that's the case by and large here at White Oak. We have so many very knowledgeable Bible students. But I have to examine myself to ask myself, am I one of those? And you remember the old expression that was often used about members of the Lord's church, that if you were in a court of law, remember that old, uh, that old uh, saying, that if you were in a court of law and you didn't have a Bible, but there was a member of the church of Christ there, just get him up there and let the witness put his hand on his head because he had so much Bible knowledge in his head, that was just about equivalent to putting his hand on the Bible. Can we say that? To the extent that it was once true. Well, I have to make sure that I can as far as I personally am concerned, and you must do the same. And yet we have to admit that what we see by the fruit on the tree many times is that many longtime Christians know little more today than the day they were baptized into Christ. And tragically, many don't care enough to learn. They really just simply do not want to pay the price to learn. I forget who it was to whom this statement was attributed, but one of the old-time preachers was approached by someone who heard him preach and said, well, I would, I'd, give, I'd give my life to, uh, to know the Bible like you know it. He said, that's exactly what it cost me, a lifetime of diligent study. Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter writes there in 2 Peter 1, beginning at verse 5. But then he says, For he who lacks these things is what? Short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, he says, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be abundantly supplied to you into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom. That's the eternal phase of the kingdom that now exists, the church. How can I anticipate that abundant entrance by adding those Christian graces to the basic one with which he begins that list? Add to your what? Faith. I've got to build upon that faith. What is the will of my Father? The will of my Father is that I grow and develop spiritually. And if I have failed to do so, I have not done the will of my Father. Is that an erroneous conclusion to reach based on the scriptures we've just seen in this section? No. No. I have failed if I haven't grown because I haven't done God's will. Therefore, I've got to make sure that I am in a growing process. A growing process. What is the will of my Father? That I grow and develop spiritually, but secondly, it is the will of my Father that I lead a life of sincerity. God does not have any tolerance for hypocrites. He has no real tolerance for double-minded men, unstable in all their ways, as James describes that man in James chapter 1 who does not go to the throne of God through Jesus Christ with faith, but with doubting. And I've got to be sincere. I've got to beware. Beware of separating everyday activity from my faith. Remember the statement Paul made in Romans 1.17, following that great statement in 1.16, where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation. In verse 17 he said, because the just, the just shall live by faith. That's the key. Live by faith. Faith influences everything I do. I am a changed individual if I'm a child of God every day. I'm not changed one day and unchanged the next and changed again the next. I am changed every day. Every day. You remember what the blind man said, and it's a true statement in John 9, 31. He said, we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will... He hears him. Now notice, twofold statement there. If anyone is, first of all, what? A worshiper of God, and secondly, does his will, he hears him. Worship and service are distinct. Worship and doing are distinct. Worship alone leaves off doing. If I'm not careful, I could do that. You see, I could center most of my Christianity, if you will, around the assembly, whether or not I'm present in the assembly. But I cannot do that. I'm always a child of God. And I must make sure that I'm always a child of God and that others are very much aware that I am. Do our lives live up to our claims? That's the key, isn't it? You remember in Matthew chapter... 21, you have a, a parable there, a brief parable that the Lord gave of, of two sons, beginning at uh, verse uh, 28. But what do you think, he asked. A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. 
Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? The will of his father. Which of the two did the will of his father? We know the answer, don't we? It was the one who initially said, I will not, but he regretted that, and he went. And so we've got to make sure that we're not just saying rather than doing, but that we are saying and doing, because the gospel of Christ should effect a real and complete change in my life. Do you not know? That as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Romans 12, beginning at verse 1. A living sacrifice. We're to lay it all on the line. And we're admonished in Ephesians 5, 17 by the Apostle Paul. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. We've been studying the book of Colossians and... In one section of Colossians, there is a section dealing with reciprocal relationships, one of which is that master-servant relationship that existed then, which does not today. We apply it more to the employer-employee relationship. But in that letter, as well as in the Ephesian letter, the Apostle Paul cautions about giving eye service, being men-pleasers rather than bond-servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. That's the Ephesian text, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 6. Not with eye service. That's not how we're to serve. That's not how we're to serve the Father. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants, slaves of Christ, doing the will of God. But here's the key phrase, from the heart. From the heart. In 1 Peter 4 and verse 2. Peter reminds us that we should no longer live the rest of our lives, the rest of our time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of Almighty God. And then you know something Peter elsewhere writes in 1 Peter 2.15. He says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, in other words, living a life of sincerity as a child of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, and there's a whole lot of ignorance from a whole lot of foolish men out there in the time in which we live. How do we put that to silence? By doing good. By doing good. By living lives of sincerity. Godliness becomes a way of life. I beseech you again, remember, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. To fail to do that 
is to fail to do the will of the Father. What is the will of my Father? That I grow and develop spiritually, but secondly, that I lead a life of sincerity. But thirdly, he wills that I keep worldliness and materialism out of my life. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, beginning at, at verse 41, Peter said to the Lord, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And he was talking about uh, faithful servant, the evil servant. But then the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him they will ask the more. That servant which knew his master's will. Verse 47. While he waited he became cruel. Oh, he ate, drank, and became drunken. He misused, in other words, what was his. He misused what had been committed to him as a steward for his master. And the lesson for us is that we live in an affluent society. And there's nothing wrong with affluence, but it is dangerous. And we need to appreciate how easy it is for things to crowd God out. How easy it is, th it is for things to become an obsession. For the acquisition of things to become an, uh, an obsession. For money to become an obsession. Colossians 3, 5, covetousness, remember Paul wrote, is idolatry. Gaining more and more can become a priority. And it has for so many in the world in which we live. And uh, there are so many who are putting God second to things. And those things include so many things. They may be educational achievement. Uh, they may be uh, monetary gain. There may be so many things. But if they're, second, if they're not second to God, then we've got a, a problem, a real problem. I'm not a second-class citizen in the kingdom because I am not wealthy. I don't need to be concerned about trying to obtain more and more as a citizen in God's kingdom. My worth is not measured by things in the kingdom of God. And the Lord did say how hard it is for a rich man to enter heaven. Do not love the world, remember John's admonition, nor the things in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. If any man loves the world, he said earlier in that text, the love of the Father is not in him. And then he talks about all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And then he said, and the world is passing away with its lusts, 
all the lust of the world, all the, all the determination to get more and more, and all of those things are passing away even now. And we've talked about that. But the second law of thermodynamics says that the law of entropy, that this universe is like a giant clock that's been wound up and, and it's winding down. There's yet less and less usable energy. John says it's passing away before our very eyes, though not visible or perceptible to the naked eye. So why attach yourself to that which is passing away rather than to that which will not pass away? Because in the conclusion of that text at verse 17, he says, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Do not love the world. Love God. Make sure, make sure that I keep worldliness and materialism out of my life. Doesn't mean I can't have some things, obviously. Doesn't mean I can attain, but I have to keep it in perspective. And that is a challenge that is a far greater challenge, I'm afraid, than a great many people realize. And the devil takes full, full advantage of it. Full advantage of it. But next, the will of my Father is that, and finally, that my Christianity, that my Christianity affect me inside and out. Go back to our text with which we began in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied? Lord, Lord. There's, there's an emphasis. Lord, Lord. We love you, Lord. Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. On the outside, based upon that text, there were what? Powers. Powers on the outside and emptiness on the inside. Think again of Judas Iscariot. You see, God never intended that these powers alone would be one's complete Christianity. The fact that one had miraculous gifts during the time that miraculous gifts were available and needed, they do not exist now, they're not needed, we have this. But during that time, God never intended that those powers alone would constitute complete Christianity. And this text in Matthew 7 was spoken before any powers were given, but they were later given in the limited commission, for example, and then ultimately through the laying on of the apostles' hands after the baptism of the Holy Spirit came upon them. But what did the Apostle Paul say about these powers, especially speaking in tongues? Oh, this is sobering. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all knowledge and all mysteries, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. That's sobering. That tells me I better be loving. <laughs> I better be intensifying and increasing my love for the Father in heaven. 
and for brothers and sisters in Christ, and for this book, and for all things spiritual, I must make sure that Christianity affects me inside as well as out. Because it's awfully easy to have one-sided Christianity. Awfully easy. The assembly, but no harmony outside the assembly, that's one-sided. Christianity is two-sided. Remember the prophet of old who talked about, talked about God's people being a, a cake half-turned, half-baked. We dare not be half-baked Christians. Christianity has to affect us inside and out. In Matthew 9, in verse 13, the Lord said, But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Oh, he's not discounting the actions of worship being important under the Old Covenant and certainly not under the New as well. But he is dealing with going through the motions but then not having a heart that seeks God's will. I've got to make sure I'm not guilty of that. I've got to make sure that my heart, my whole heart, is seeking the will of God and that my actions conform to that, that they're consistent with that. What of the will of our Father? He desires that all his children be saved. It's not the will of the Father that one of these little ones should perish. Remember that statement, Matthew 18? Not the will of the Father that even one of these little ones should perish. And then in John 6, 39, Jesus said, This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing but raise it up at the last day. That's God's desire. Is that all that that he has given his son, and how has he done that? Through our answering the call of the gospel and becoming Christians. His desire is that all those who have made that commitment should be raised up at the last day and hear the words, not depart from me, I never knew you, but well done. Good and faithful servant. For that to happen, we must be doers of the Father's will. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. We must grow, be sincere, resist worldliness, and be spiritually whole inside and out. In other words, man needs to know what's required to bow to the will of God. And then he must bow to God's will. Because there is a difference between my will and his will. The words of the poet Henry Van Dyke express it, I think, very well. When he wrote, With eager heart and will on fire, I strove to win my great desire. Peace shall be mine, I said. But life grew bitter. In the barren strife, 
My soul was weary and my pride was wounded deep. To heaven I cried, God, grant me peace or I must die. The dumb stars glittered no reply. Broken at last, I bowed my head, forgetting all myself and said, Whatever comes, His will be done. And in that moment, peace was won. That's how we win peace. The peace that surpasses all understanding is by understanding the will of the Father and doing His will. Have you done that this morning? Have you expressed your faith in Christ? Have you acted upon that faith by repenting of your sins, confessing Jesus to be the Christ, and then being buried with Him in baptism for the remission of sins? If not, that's how it all begins, but that's certainly not how it ends. The beginning there, as you rise to walk in newness of life from obedience to the gospel, must then be a life in which you determine that the will of the Father will be your will as well. Are there some here who can no longer say that? as you once were able to say. If that's the case and you need to repent publicly of sin that is public in your life and come home to your first love, we plead with you to do that. That once again you may leave here as you once did doing the will of the Father. And for those who need no repentance but who truly are doing the will of the Father, may you let nothing distract you and ultimately destroy you from the determination to be in His will and to do His will until the Lord comes again or until you die, whichever comes first. As we stand to sing, if you need to respond, will you come?